Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 254. Hello, hello, can you hear me? Hello? Julius, you there? Julius? No, nobody else can see me holding up the V as I'm saying this. <laughs> hello, Julius. Hello, Albert. How are you How doing? Are you doing? I don't know if you remember all of the old commercials that I do. Not too well. The hello, hello. Can you hear me? Commercials. I kind of vaguely remember them. That's I'm an old Verizon like commercial. Yeah, that's right. Verizon. Th- those were. Su- mm. I know they were really good. I know they were, they were really <laughs> successful. Back in but, the day. Uh, back in the day. Today we are going to be talking about not Verizon. We're going to be talking about making smartphones, not yep, owning smartphones. Your own smartphone company. Your own what? smartphone company. Yep. Complete with the luxurious beard of the guy on the front of the, of the rules <laughs> of the game. I, you know, I don't know that I like that beard look so much personally, which I find interesting. Because <laughs> I always thought, oh, beards are cool. Nobody uses beards. You know, this is back in the 80s and 90s when nobody used beards. It's like, now that I see them, I was like, you know what? I don't want a beard. <laughs> I guess I'm fine Whatever. with it. I mean, they're, they're neat. They're neat. Yeah, but whatever here's the truth it's i'm getting old and change is really hard to accept (laughs) well then you're gonna have real problems with these newfangled smartphone devices (laughs) yeah give me my old landline that's what Uh, i need (laughs) let us get started with this albert yeah enough uh rambling so so let's talk about this game what's this about we said it's about owning a smartphone Owning a smartphone company. So you are making smartphones and selling those smartphones around the world. The goal of the game is to have the most amount of victory points. And and Mm -hmm. they sort of like dance around that, calling it money. Um, But the money is victory points and you earn money, but you never spend money. So it's kind of weird to have that dichotomy. But yeah. Victory points. The goal is to have the most amount of victory points at the end of the game. The way you get money is by controlling regions, by registering patents, and by selling goods. Okay. Sounds like the smartphone business. Sound, exactly. That is, that is how it works. Okay. So that is the general summary of the game. Let's move on to the rules. Okay. Let's do that. Uh, I will start up by saying that uh, I found the rules online. The, the main rule book and they're very clean they're laid out nicely but i can say i hate when they do this with digital rule books they don't give you a, a screen friendly version this has two pages per two sheets per page sort of thing you know it's like a two-page spread and you, if it's either too small to read it even on a large monitor or you got to zoom in and then scroll back and forth all the time which is just you know in this so day i question age, which version you're looking at um, because the current version, there's three versions of the rules that have come out because they okay. did an updated version when they went back to Kickstarter. And from the most recent version, it's not like that. Okay, good. So that the hope, then they learned a lesson. This is, I found this on the Cosmodrome Games website. Ah, that's so, different. Yeah, okay. I mean, that, that's what I found first. <laughs> okay. Nonetheless, um, in terms of talking about the physical rules, I will point out that the rules have a abnormal layout to them. They are short and wide, as opposed to normal rules that are more squarish or more tallish, kind of like letter-size format. 
These ones are not that. Imagine taking a letter page and then folding it up in half, and then you're stuck with just like the top half of the page. I don't know why they decided to do it like that, but they did. <laughs> no, so, but they, it still opens to the left. It doesn't open up and down, correct? As yes. you flip the pages. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're just long pages. Book. Yeah. Wide, <laughs> very wide. And there's space for a bigger rule book in the box. That's not the issue. Correct. It's just a design choice. Yeah. I don't know okay. why they did it, but that's what they did. Um, in terms of how the rules are formatted, this is a game with phases. The whole idea of the game is that each round, and there are five rounds, you're going to be going through the eight phases. The game walks you through setup, introduces the components, introduces how to do all the setup, and then walks you through each phase. This is a Euro game that needs to walk you through all the different phases. And for the most part, I think explains that pretty well. It sets out a bunch of the appendix type of information, so the different powers, the technologies, the bonuses from retailers, all that stuff is set at the end instead of just sort of lumped to the beginning, which is definitely the right place for it because you want to be able to look those up and having those at the end is a good place to put it. So on the whole, I'd say that this is a well-written rulebook. Okay. Yeah, it's super clean, the... The, you know, a lot of white space on the rule book. It's not crowded and confusing at all. It's, you know, well laid out. Definitely. Which I think is sort of the aesthetic that they're looking for for the majority of the game. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to look iPad-ish with that sort of look to it. And the rules do that well. Yeah, I guess it does sort of lean towards this being a, an an i an Apple product sort of thing. Because uh, when you play the solo game, the AI is named Steve. And I assume Jobs. Probably. <laughs> yes. So they never come out and say that for some reason. True. Cannot imagine why. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So having noted that, let's talk a bit about the components because there's a fair amount of plastic in this box. Mm, Okay. So each individual player is going to have an organizer and a set of markers. So there's a set of its vacuum formed pieces, an organizer for each player's individual set of stuff. The organizer has four slots for stuff and then another slot for tokens. And then along the front are vertical slots that you'll be able to put patents into. Um, For the most part, the organizer is relatively well designed. The four slots for where to store stuff is good. The slot for storing your uh, progress tokens is good. The only problem I really had is that the slot in front where you are supposed to store the patents, kind of invisible. It, it would be nicer if there was a way of essentially having tokens that if you had a technology, you would put it somewhere. I don't even know why they necessarily needed to have slots in front for that, because it's much more visible to other players that are choosing to look, and it's a lot harder to see for you. But when you're scoring it during the end of the game, it's very easy to pull them out. So I just don't know they were necessary. Otherwise... The individual player organizers really do their job quite well. Um, In terms of other player components, there are three, I'm going to call them all cubes, but there are different types of cubes. Um, The first is just cubes. You have plastic cubes, each player has 20 of them, which are used to symbolize a container of smartphones, a box of smartphones. They are either things that can be produced, have been produced, or are now shipped. Uh, You also have office buildings. And these are, they look like miniature 
little skyscrapers, also made mm-hmm. out of plastic. It could have been cubes because they're just there to indicate when you either have established an office in the region or if you've fully established uh, one of your patents. Um, so whether or not you fully research technology. There are kind of like a mini version of the uh, office markers, which just look like stair steps, and they're progress markers. They're used to store how much towards something you've done. So if it takes five progress to fully develop a technology, you'll continue putting progress markers on that space until you have five of them. Then you replace your progress markers with an office marker to show that you're done. Again, theoretically, that could have just been cubes because they're all in different spots on the board. But having them all be separate, unique components makes it a lot easier to keep track on the board what's what, whether or not it's a progress marker, goods marker, novice marker. Mm -hmm. So it's a good thing that all of them are unique. Didn't need to. Good that they did. You did say that the progress markers become office markers when you have five of them on the board, right? But they still go on a different space. Well, I mean, you remove them and then you replace them. And when I say go in a separate space, you're putting the progress markers on, say, a technology or on a region. But there's a specific space on those where the progress markers go, and there's a ah, specific okay. space on those where the office markers go. But they are on that region. Gotcha. Okay. Um, each player also has a screen and a set of pads. And the pads are going to be one of the more unique aspects of the gameplay elements of the game. They are, every player has two planning pads, and they're a two by three grid, which can be flipped over. And one of the gameplay aspects of the game, in order to set up what actions you're taking each round, you're going to align those pads so that they partially overlay. So you'll have one pad all the way on the bottom, and then the other pad will be on top of it, so that it covers anywhere between one to four icons. So one, two, three, or four icons on the other pad. Whatever icons are left still visible are going to determine what actions you're doing that round. And you can turn over the pads, you can rotate them, you can orient them however you want, and you'll mess with all those behind your screen when you're determining what it is that you want to do each (laughs) round. That's neat. That's a a cool little tactile game in there, mini game that you get to do. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that's probably the main unique mechanic of the game, too. So we'll definitely get back to that. Okay. There's also a set of improvements that every player starts with one, and there's going to be others that you'll upgrade to, you'll be able to get. Um, And these are two icons that you can put on your pad to replace more icons on your pad to get more access to icons. Some of the icon spaces on your pad to begin with are blank, so you can try and cover those, uh, or you can just set them off to the side and just act as getting one extra production. So... Again, that's further development on how it is that you want to use your pads. Turning now to stuff in the center of the board, there is a game board. Now, the version of the game that I have is the the 1.1 version, so it actually comes with two game boards. Um, I have one game board that is specifically for two players, which I do prefer to use. Um, And then there's another game board that works with all the way up to five players. Um, Both game boards are actually dual-layered player boards or dual-layered boards, which means that they have recessed spots for where players' office markers, goods markers, progress markers, uh, where the patents and the technologies go. There's, there's all recessed spots, so everywhere stays where it is on the board. So boards, therefore, especially when they're folded up, are really thick because they're six-fold <laughs> boards, 
They take up a mm. lot of room in the box because they're so oh, wow. heavy, so thick. But having everything be dual layer is is really cool. <laughs> yeah, that, that's 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 a definitely upgraded components there. So it's six layers or six folds. Each fold is two layers, so it's twelve layers of cardboard, and you have two yeah. boards. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's a heavy game, I guess. It's not. It's not a yeah. huge box though. Well, it depends on if you have the the one point one version, but yeah, no, it is not a huge box. I will get back to the box issues in just a moment. We'll oh, okay. There. <laughs> um, there are also some other miscellaneous things. There's a, two small little black rectangles that you use to track what round and phase you're on. There's a separate board which is not dual layer, which is just used to track victory points. And there's a set of retailers. When you're playing with less than five players, including you're playing solo, you'll block off some of the regions on the board. Um, you'll block those off generally with these retailer spots. The retailer spots are used to make the area more competitive, l- reduce the amount of spaces you can go, and they're also an alternative way of getting victory points at the end of the game. You mentioned the box, so let me mm-hmm. talk about the box. There are plastic inserts I mentioned for per, for each player. There's also just one general plastic insert that you're supposed to store miscellaneous tokens and things like that in. Putting everything back into the box is a huge challenge. It's very tight because the first thing you put back in the box are the player boards that fills like 80% of the board. Wow, okay. Um, and then you put, excuse me, the player boards, the organizers and the boards fills almost everything. And it's really tight to fit everything else in the how you need to. I ended up custom making and printing some cardboard, essentially they're deck boxes, but they're different sort of lengths to hold things like the improvements, um, the, the patents, the goods tokens, the retailers, all those things are held in these little tuck boxes, which mm-hmm. then go around the outside of the game board. That makes it a lot easier to take the things out. That makes things a lot easier to put back in and hold in a neat fashion. I kind of feel like the game needs it just to be able to fit in the box. It's crazy. Wow, okay. So, it so just they don't really waste space. Yeah. It does not. It is filled to the brim. Yeah. Um. There are a set of components, which I'm sure you'll, you've mentioned already that I've left out, which are the solo rules. There's an oversized pad, which is not Julia, which is used for the solo AI Steve, and he gets a little marker, uh, as well as his set of rules. We will come back to those when I talk about the solo rules, because that's going to take a whole minute to step through. Okay. So in terms of components, the game has very deluxe components. For being something so basic, they're just plastic, they're just markers, but especially for the aesthetic they're trying to do, that iCloud, Apple-type aesthetic, it nails it, and it nails it in a lovely way. So the components are really nice, really high quality, and draw across everything they need to be able to push that theme. Okay. Now, funny thing is, I I look at it, and I don't like the look at all of this game. And Depends the, on if you like that aesthetic. I guess, and I guess I don't. I'm not an iPhone user, right? I'm an Android user, and I don't really see these types of icons. But the the board looks rather dry to me when I look at it. And you know, it may just because I'm looking at a digital picture, and I get that. But my, I don't my, think it will. I think you may like it. I think it may just be dry to you. It is okay. just a board with a world on it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah, the colors. I don't know. Interesting. 
But I think it pushes what it pushes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So so we talked about the components, the rules, uh, the theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's play? talk about the gameplay. Yes. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to run through very quickly the different phases each round. And then I'll talk about my thoughts on the gameplay. So again, there are five rounds in each phase. You're going to do different things. Now that I've already talked to them, I was discussing the pads about how you orient the pads in order to be able to select the actions that you're going to take each round. The next phase that you're going to do after that is going to do um, the set prices phase. Everyone starts by default. Their, a box of their phones is going to cost $5, megabucks, who knows what. <laughs> megabucks. It's going to yeah. cost 5 um, you will have minus price and plus price icons left on your board. You'll total all those up, directly add five to it, and that'll determine between eight and two how much your prices are going to be worth over the course of the round. If your price is higher, that means you're going to be acting later in the round. And theoretically, that means that other people can undercut you by researching faster, by selling in your markets faster, because they have a lower price, their stuff is going to move faster. But even if you're selling less of them, if your prices are eight, let's say someone else undercuts you with their little dinky $2 ones, they sell three of them and they made $6, you sell two and you've made 16. Mm-hmm. So then that's, that's not a game they're going to theoretically win. But on the other hand, there's a balance that can't be made because if you push for low prices and make a whole lot of them and completely undercut the other player, it don't matter how many they how much they're charging if they can't sell the phones. So there's a distinct push and pull on that price. Uh, Once you've done price, you'll then do production. Production works uniquely because it's the only one that has both icons and non-icons producing. First, there's actual production icons. Each one of those produces you one phone, box of phones, that you're going to sell over the course of the round. Note, phones that you produce and around but don't sell are pitched it's recycled whatever the way it is the market is yep yeah you the, there's already last year's thing you can't sell last year's thing they're gone um so you if you're making them theoretically you want to sell them this round otherwise they're not going to be worth anything for you so again each active production symbol produces you one there are going to be some production symbols on the side of your board as well, either from improvements that are not being used or goods tokens that you've gotten instead of improvements over the course of the game. So it could be things on the board and things next to your pad. Uh, also, I mentioned that you will cover between one and three, one and four icons from one pad on top of the other. Every covered cell, even if it doesn't have an icon on it, will also do a production. So if you've covered four, that's a bonus for boxes of phones that you're producing. Hmm. So that's the only one that works like that, but it's something that has to be specifically explained. The next one is about improvements. There is only, it's a binary choice. If you're showing a improvement icon, then you're going to get one of the improvements. Improvements are going to have two icons. Again, they can be put on top of your pad. If you don't have an improvement icon, then instead all you're going to get is a good. The only thing it does is it just is an automatic production icon in future rounds. Those are the ones I was talking about are left next to your pad, technically in your organizer. Um, Improvements generally have to be placed entirely on top of a pad. One of the technologies will let you ignore that rule. So it doesn't 
normally give you extra icons. There are ways of breaking that rule, and many other rules can be broken with technology. Uh, speaking of technology, the next phase is going to be researching technology. There are over there are six technologies that are out each game. Now then, these are actually separate little tokens, and there's a recessed spot where those tokens can be put in. So there's different variability by having different technologies each game. And if you buy the expansion, there's or get the expansion, there's even more technologies that can be used to switch things up. But even with the base, those things can be flipped, and there's a lot of variability being done by having different technologies each game. Players will research different technologies. So some of them cost two, some of them cost three, four, five, six. However much it is, it costs that much to do it. The first person to research technology has to pay one more than everyone else, but they get the benefit of a patent. Each technology has a little token, a square token next to it, that if you are the first person to fully research it, you get to take that token, and it's worth victory points at the end of the game for you for holding that patent. Once you've developed the technology, everyone else gets essentially a one cost, a one progress, one point of discount to be able to research the technology for everyone else. The next thing is logistics. It works similarly to technologies. For each icon of logistics, you get to put out a progress step in each of the different locations. Everyone has a spot that they start at. When you build progress tokens to a neighboring spot, that means that you get to put an office building there, and then you get to sell there. When you're playing with less players, there are also a set of retailers that are on the board. These just block out that you can't sell directly to customers there instead of to sell to the retailers. And those are just worth endgame points, but it works the same way. You have to fill up a spot for progress. When you do that, you get endgame points and usually an immediate benefit of some sort of like an extra bonus production or money or whatever it is. Um, the only way to have competition is to continue to expand, and the only way to sell more phones is by expanding. So as you expand out, you're going to hit up with other players. Other players are at that point in time going to be selling to the same place as you. Early in the game, you're going to start out, there's not going to be anyone near you even, and you'll think, hey, I just need to have exactly what I need to sell to everyone here. But as the game goes later, you're going to be in markets and, and competing with other players, and it's going to start to get tricky about what it is that you're doing. Sometimes it's advantageous to you know get in there and, and get into the fight and start messing around. Some players would more and they'll be like, I'm just going to go over here, and you leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone, and we'll just sell phones. <laughs> Does it I, feel I like it it's... Me, does it Go feel ahead. like it's hard to get into a market if somebody already has it established or not? Does it no, feel, well, it no, does not okay. feel hard to get into a market if someone has established. In fact, it costs nothing extra to get into it when it's established. And it's kind of more fun, I think. I've played with other players who don't want to go and mess, who want to just go off and hide in their corners. And I tend to want to go mess with them because if I leave them to do their own thing, what I don't know. They may do better than me at doing their own thing. This way I had to get to a mess with them. So there's an advantage to moving into someone's territory, and it's not really that hard to do it. Additionally, okay. each area has a region bonus that whoever sells the most to it each round is going to get immediate victory points. Um, the amount that you get increases based on the number of players that are there. So you're almost encouraged, especially as more and more players, like I want to go in there because then I can control it and get even more victory points. So there's a lot of push and pull to sort of encourage players 
to go fight. But yeah. <laughs> okay. The last thing and probably the biggest push, the biggest interaction point is going to be selling goods in order of price. So the lowest player going first, you get to sell to any spaces that you have an office building uh, and that there are available buyers wanting to buy it. Now, then there's two types of buyers. There are buyers that want to buy on price. And there are buyers that want to buy on technology. You first have to sell to buyers on price for, if you can. So a buyer will say, hey, I'm willing to pay up to $7 or I'm willing to pay up to $3, for example, for a cell phone. If you're charging $5, well, the players, the, the buyers that want to pay 3 are not going to buy from you. The buyers mm -hmm. that want to pay 7 they will. So you can only sell to the ones that are buying for seven. You have to skip over the three. But if you're only charging three, you have to sell to the three and you have to sell to the seven. You can't choose to skip over the three and just sell to the seven in order to try and undercut another player. So that's right, a yep. little bit nice, but it's not much of a, not too much of a consolation because players will often push those to try and block off other players. Yeah, I, I, bet, I bet you there's a lot of a lot of the interaction happens in that right there, that setting the yeah, price. Yeah, a lot of jostling. The other okay. type of buyer is a technology buyer, a purple buyer. They'll pay whatever price you're charging as long as your phone has the technologies they need, which means that you need to have previously research them. As long as you have it, as long as you finish that technology, they will buy your phone. They'll only buy one box of phones. So again, there's interaction because if two players have it, you want to go and pick off the ones that another person has. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds that whole buying and selling part stuff sounds fun. Okay. That does sound like a neat game. The final part of that is gonna be receive victory points. Um the way they do it is not the way I do it. What I usually do is I first determine who controls each region. We will go through and count up who controls each region, determine who gets the victory points for that. We will then pull off all the cubes that scored for oh I froze. Can you not hear me? Okay, so the next phase is then you're going to determine victory points, how much each person got for selling. Now then, I actually do it differently than they do in the rules. I think my way is better. Let me explain how I do it. First, we go around to each region. We determine who controls the region in terms of getting the region bonus. We'll then keep, as we're doing each region, we'll pull the cubes off of the region, make a central pile from its individual cubes. We will then, once everyone's done all their regions, we'll total up how many cubes and multiply that by the price that they have. Then we'll award victory points based on that. Once you've given everyone victory points, you'll reset for the next round, remove all the cubes, uh, everyone refreshes the improvements, goes back to center, and start a new round. You continue mm -hmm. to do that over five rounds. At the end of five rounds, you get victory points during the game, victory points for patterns, for retailers, and whoever has the most amount of victory points wins the game. Gotcha, okay. So when you said you do it differently, you're still get, coming up with the same score that if you yeah. use their method. You're just doing the math in a different order, basically. I just do it in a different order because they want you to look around the whole board and total up goods and then do regions. And yep. I don't know why they do it that way. I think it's easy to do regions and then just take them off the board that. Gotcha, okay. So you do the score for the round and then you move on to the next round. I do that five right? times. Nice, exactly. Okay. Five years. 
So I think that I've already said what I think is the most crucial mechanic of the game, which is really about those pads. There's a whole lot of thought process that goes into determining how you're going to orient the pads and the improvements, <coughs> excuse me, and what it is that you're going to want to do during your turn. And you very much have to predict forward on what you're going to do. Sort of like a programming, maybe kind of sort mm-hmm. of a little bit. It's very short-term mm-hmm. programming because you generally know what sort of stuff you want to focus on. It's not like, you know, say a Lords of Zidit uh, or a Robo Rally type thing where your plans can go horribly awry. It's just sometimes you get scooped. Um, I very much like that mechanic. I very much enjoy playing with the pads. I like how you have the ability to program it all out and then figure out where everything is going to be going over the course of the whole game. I think that's a very unique mechanic and it's a very fun mechanic to be able to play with. There is a fair amount of jostling on the board that goes into the game when you're trying to slug it out, figure out what other players are doing and fight over who has what and who can control what. I like all of that jostling and I enjoy all of that jostling. It makes for a very interactive game. This is not a multiplayer solo type game where everyone does their own thing and just keeps pushing on and on. This has a lot of jostling and to a degree, I think requires that jostling to make for an enjoyable game. Okay. Is this a a relatively heavy game? You think? I think that it, I think it feels heavy because it requires a lot of planning. You have to be able to think about what you're going to do long before you do it. You have to think out a whole turn and you only have five of them. You have to think out a whole round rather. You only have five of them. So you have to think what technology is going to need, where am I want to build to, and what am I going to sell? Plan that whole thing out and hope that you've also predicted the other players as well. So it's not heavy in terms of rules. It's just heavy in terms of making that whole prediction and planning. That can be difficult. Mm. Yeah, the rules are definitely not heavy. They're very short, very light. But it takes a lot of planning and forethought to be able to do that, which increases the weight scale for it. Yeah. Okay. So I've come out saying that I think the jostling is a necessary aspect of it. You've got to have the jostling to be able to enjoy it. Let me talk about the solo game. Mm -hmm. So you don't jostle there. You're like the only phone manufacturer (laughs) in the world. Well, when you're playing solo, there's the, the, a dear friend, Steve, who comes out. <laughs> okay. Steve has a very special pad. He starts with a almost empty pad. It's this big, tall pad with a three by three grid on it. Uh, he doesn't do any interlocking. He doesn't do any, any of that stuff. It's just this three by three grid. And it's got some production, some prices, some technology, some uh, logistics, and an automatic yellow as well, which they failed to print. Probably could have printed, but whatever. (laughs) Lost you again. Um, Steve will just run his own pad every time. He's almost completely predictable about what it is that he's going to do. Steve... So Steve runs through essentially each of the phases, mostly just like a regular player, and he just relies on his own pad. So he goes through and he does production and price 
uh, just like any other player. He does improvement just like any other player. In fact, they kind of make production uh, improvements a little more complicated. Normally, other players, when they take an improvement, practically they don't get to use it until next round. You, or Steve rather, he has a specific spot where his improvements go, and then they're not active until next round. And the next round, you actually put them on the board so that you can use them. I, I don't know why they had to make Steve more complicated than another player. <laughs> it, it's essentially, it's exactly like any other player would do it. It's just got a spot and other players don't get spots. So he does improvements really just like another player. When he does technologies, th- he's doing it like any other player. And it's just based on how many eye accounts he has on his pads and his, pr- his improvements. He'll take technologies. The first he'll determine a target. Um, he'll, he has this little Steve piece that he uses to determine what he's targeting for logistics. And he has a specific stair piece that he uses to target technologies. Um, he'll either current, he'll either have something that he's in the middle of researching or he'll do whatever is the least expensive one with a patent. So with end game victory points, if they all have their end game victory points taken, he just does the least expensive, very easy, very simple. He's never going to suddenly jump to five G if you start with the most expensive ones and go down or start in the middle, um, like you can, you can scoop him very easily. No, no surprises yeah. from Steve. And then in terms of regions, he will again go out. The only difference is how he picks, which region he uses. Uh, first he'll do the, and this is a little bit, there's like a flow chart that the rules present on how you have to do it. So like first you'll determine it's the region where there's the least other players. Then he'll do the next, and if there's a tie, he'll break it in alphabetical order. If there's multiple options, he wants to use the largest region. So there's like the, there's a flow chart that you just essentially have to run through. I never found it intuitive. I never was able to remember it. I just had to keep running the flow chart every single time to determine where it is that he should be, especially because I don't know the alphabetical order. It's printed right there on the flowchart what the alphabetical order is, but I had to keep doing the flowcharts. He'll then sell product cubes, and he'll want to, first he'll want to sell a product cube where he is all by himself, because then he gets the retailer bonus for that. Then he'll want to sell in any region where any other players are done, and he'll want to maximize everything he can in other players' regions, as a normal player would, because that's how normal players would. They want to deprive you of the opportunity to sell as much as possible. So he'll continue to do that. If he has any more, he'll finish selling to regions where he's himself. He works exactly like a normal player. The only question is, if it's a tie, he'll just go alphabetical. Um, You can theoretically even play him to be on the meaner version and just say, hey, if it's a tie, he'll sell whatever messes me up the most. Mm -hmm. It's It's your own gameplay and how you like. Yeah, he'll earn victory. It sounds points, like just like it sounds player. like a pretty typical AI that it, it simulates a player, but it's more predictable. It's entirely predictable. It doesn't seem like in Lawsuits of Arnak, there's an automatic deck which randomizes things. There is no randomization. Yeah. It is entirely predictable. It is entirely scripted. You know exactly where he's going to go, and you can plan and plot out the whole thing in order to be able to do. Yeah. Excuse me. So, you can plan and plot out the whole thing in order to be able to know exactly where it is that he's doing. So yeah, Which so it's a more means, thinky game. Yeah, so there's not jostling. If you want to avoid messing with Steve, 
go theoretically go to the areas that are higher in the alphabet. If you want to mess with Steve, you know which place he's going to go at first, the one that's mm-hmm. lower in the alphabet. So, like, I mean, <laughs> I suppose it's your choice about whether or not you want to jostle or not. But when it's this predictable, there's less jostling. And I had fun doing the jostling. Playing yeah. the difference between multiplayer and solo kind of deprives me a little bit of the jostling just because there's not a there's not a random element that you get with so many other Automa games. Yep. It's just not present here. So the I noticed that the rules say you could use Steve in a multiplayer game too. What does that get you? Like if you in a three, it just gets game you an extra player, player someone else to player. jostle with theoretically. That won't jostle. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, okay. it also means that if another player wants to drop out, you can have Steve take over for it. Uh, okay, that makes sense too. Then, which we've done. <laughs> yeah. Mm, okay. So, so it sounds like it's a pretty darn fun game, but less fun solo. That that's my opinion. Yeah, that's yeah. a basic summary. I really like the mechanics. I like playing with those pads. I think the components are lovely. I do appreciate the aesthetic, even though I'm an Android user. I appreciate mm-hmm. this thing they're using. I like the theme, and I like how the game plays. And I like how it flows. The mere fact that, especially because it's already boggy playing with Steve, I have to, because I have to continue to consult a flowchart. Already makes me disinclined if after playing the game i've played it solo a number of times and i've each round you gotta do it five times and no matter what at the end of it i'm still consulting that flow chart if i have to keep consulting a flow chart it feels boggy and annoying to me and it already makes me disinclined to like the solo mode so much yeah and the solo mode already took what you liked out of the game so yeah it doesn't sound worth it for you so my, my big issue with what i see with the game is that board (laughs) <laughs> really don't. And I guess it's because there's no real color in it, unless it's just the pictures, but it's just all gray, basically. And I just look. I think you're looking at the pictures bad. possibly wrong. Maybe. Because the board itself has the different colors and things on it. So, yeah, it does have. Okay, so it does have some colors in the edges in there, but the map itself is just, just plain gray. That's what it looks okay, like. Okay, hold it a second. I'm just going to. Let me go Gana. look at BGG, maybe. Because yeah, what I'm looking at is pictures in the rule book. On the, oh, you're looking at the pictures in the rule book. The rule book is, is not quite correct because it turns to gray anything that it's not focusing on. Okay. So there is color in the middle, but it's, I mean, it's gradients of red and purple and blue and black and white. Yeah, that's a little better than what I have been looking at. Yeah, okay. So that's not as bad. That's just the rule book that's been throwing me off then. <laughs> Though it's very bright. <laughs> that is, it's a lot of like bright primary type colors, which I find interesting. Yeah. It's interesting aesthetic. Okay. All right. I, I so don't would, disagree. Would you recommend somebody that's only a solo player get this game? Probably not. Probably not? I, I just okay. don't think so. I think that you'd have to play a multiplayer to really get enjoyment out of it. I think that for solo only... I just, I can't recommend it. I think that if you already own it, it's definitely worth playing solo. I think that right. you will enjoy it solo. I just don't think I could recommend it for the purpose of solo only. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the expansion. Do you have the expansion? I do have the expansion. I have not played with all the components from the expansion. Okay. Uh, the expansion comes with extra technologies. Uh, it comes with extra directives, which are sort of like mini goals. Uh, it okay. comes with that 
two or three player board that I've talked about, which just tightens things up as a smaller board. It also has the quote hardcore module, uh, which is pads <laughs> where I, I mentioned before that money in this game is weird calling victory points money because it doesn't cost you money to do logistics. It doesn't cost you money to do production. You just can only get money. You can never spend money when you're doing hardcore mode. You also have to spend money. Um, you have to pay victory points to produce cubes. You have to pay victory points to do logistics and these things. And like, okay, why? <laughs> okay. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> and I see there's also a game called Mobile Markets. It's a smartphone game. Do you know anything about that one? Uh, I'm not familiar with the Mobile Market game. I've never played it. I've never heard of it. Um, yeah, this is this is the only one. But I think with that, Albert, we're just going to be disconnecting for the night. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.